All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff show. Your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis. Here's your host, Frank Saravalli. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff show. Today is Wednesday, October 27th. I'm Frank Saravalli, joined alongside by Scott Burnside. He's in Carolina covering the Hurricanes and we've got a lot to dive into today in the wake of the fallout from the Chicago Blackhawks internal investigation, which wrapped up and the public findings were released on Tuesday. Just a fair warning for anyone wa- watching and or listening, uh, a content warning that some of what we talk about could certainly be upsetting and disturbing. The entire thing, Scott, was disturbing for the National Hockey League. How are you holding up? I'm I'm doing very well. And I, I think you're absolutely right, Frank. I mean, we toss around terms like day of reckoning, but I really think that's what Tuesday really was for the National Hockey League. Certainly for the Chicago Blackhawks, one of the the uh, standard bearers in terms of uh, NHL organizations for, for many years now. Um, but I really think it's a day of reckoning for, for all NHL teams and really all hockey teams at every level, all pro sports teams. I, I really hope that in every boardroom or locker room, people were asking themselves, how would we have acted in the same situation? Clearly what happened in Chicago was an abomination. It was wrong. It was wrong then, it's wrong now. I just hope that people are asking themselves hard questions about how they would react in a similar situation now. Um, and that, and the dominoes are con- going to continue to fall, um, I think for a long time in, in, in the wake of, of the uh, uh, investigations uh, report. Yeah, well said. And also to ask hard questions of tight-lipped hockey culture in general as well. So 
Let's dive in and talk about all of it, and we'll put two minutes and 30 seconds on the clock and drop the puck. But just to give everyone a quick recap, in case you didn't have a chance to read the report or read the reporting about what happened and, and to throw a timeline up on the board to really refresh everyone. And so if you think back to 2010, when the Blackhawks were in the Stanley Cup playoffs, making a deep run, Brad Aldrich, their then video coach, sexually assaulted a Blackhawks player on May 10th. And it came to light within the front office and their team executives met to discuss it, including general manager Stan Bowman, president and CEO John McDonough, EVP of business ops Jay Blunk, coach Joel Quenville, assistant GM uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff. They all met an hour after, according to the report, the Blackhawks won the West to advance to the Stanley Cup final and made the decision in that room at that point with John McDonough leaving, according to the report, saying, I'll handle this but also saying we don't need this distraction right now is basically how they termed it, that the Blackhawks were you know, advancing to the cup final for the first time in 18 years, and that then wasn't the time to deal with it. So they win the cup on June 9th, and then at that point, Brad Aldridge sexually assaults another person in the Blackhawks organization, an intern, at which point John McDonough then finally, after the celebrations have ceased, uh, Brad Aldrich spends his time with the Stanley Cup, lifting it uh, in Philadelphia on June 9th. He notifies HR on June 14th, and they then give the Blackhawks give Brad Aldrich the option to either resign from the team or undergo an investigation. There's so many troubling and difficult parts to pick through from this. Um, Scott, I guess my question to you is, after you know some certainly maddeningly maddening questions that still remain. What to you stands out? What kind of feeling are you left with? Well, and I thought the Chicago Blackhawks were, you know, sort of candid in in, in responding to the report, saying that th this was a team that put winning above all else. So it, it basically faced with the the opportunity to do the right thing, to move quickly, to uh, deal with the allegation of sexual assault on one of their own players, a young player up um, part of the Black Aces um, group uh, during the playoffs. Instead of doing that, they chose to wait because winning was more important to them. Um, it's, I, I, I guess I wonder how many other teams would have done the same thing in their same position. But to me, that's what stands. And from uh, the other thing is that Brad Aldrich stays with that team right through. He celebrates. He's in close proximity to his victim. And at the end of it all, Joel Quenville writes a glowing performance review, which I wonder if plays a role in his ability to move on with other employment. He's later sexual, convicted of sexual assault of a teenage hockey player. The whole thing is is confounding, and it, and it's it it is wrong. It was wrong then, and it's wrong now. It's stomach turning. So many of the details that came out, and you mentioned them. Um, the fact that Aldrich was then essentially able to negotiate with Blackhawks HR, hey, can I have my day with the Stanley Cup? That permission was granted. Waiting till October, they etch his name on the Stanley Cup. He's there in the United Center when the banner goes up. Uh, he's given severance pay. He's paid through August 31st. Um, despite departing the team, you mentioned uh, the review, the glowing review that Joel Quenville wrote, which uh, the report turned up in all the document search. Uh, and so that brings us to our next topic, which is the fallout. What comes of this? Obviously, we know that Stan Bowman uh, resigned as general manager. Jo Al McIsaac, who was also in that room, I failed to mention, 
uh, one of their senior VPs of hockey ops. He has also departed the organization, but there are far reaching consequences here, or at least there should be in terms of uh, some of the other members that were in that room. Winnipeg Jets general manager, Kevin Sheveldayoff, who departed the Blackhawks organization shortly thereafter winning that Stanley Cup. And then also Quenville. We have news today that Quenville will meet with NHL commissioner Gary Bedman in New York on Thursday uh, to discuss his role in the incident. Pretty damning evidence. I think it's a little bit different from me, in my opinion, and my mind in terms of how I look at it. Separating and not lumping together Joel Quenville and Kevin Sheveldayoff. Sheveldayoff was the most junior member in that room in terms of the Blackhawks hierarchy and organization. The report doesn't indicate that much was said from him uh, in that meeting that occurred on May 23rd, 2010. And like I said, he was then gone shortly thereafter and didn't have any role uh, moving forward. But Quenville is a different story for me in the sense that quite clearly in the report, at least according to Stan Bowman, that Quenville had voiced a couple times, you know, we don't need this distraction. It's a challenge was the word that it takes to get to the Stanley Cup final you know, essentially as if there is a right time to deal with it, now isn't the right time to, to handle this situation. So, you know, what, what kind of shrapnel is, is flying out there to the other 31 NHL markets? And what do you think is the proper, you know, protocol or plan for uh, these guys moving forward? Yeah, I, I have to tell you, I was a bit surprised when NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman announced immediately that he would be having an audience with both Joel Quenville and Kevin Chevel Dayoff, um, the, the two figures who remain employed by other NHL teams from that meeting right now. Um, I, I was a bit surprised that both uh, f both men weren't immediately put on administrative leave. I, I'm surprised that Joel Quenville is being allowed to coach. Uh, he'll coach a game after you know the, the, after we get done taping this uh, or this show this evening um uh, to me it's so serious and again with joel quenville who initially when the investigation started claimed that he didn't know about it um the report indicates otherwise uh, to me it, it, i there have to be sanctions i'm not sure as you point out with kevin shovel day off maybe a little bit different facts of the matter still remains that people in prominent positions in that room allowed this to go on saw brad it Aldrich around is all of the things that transpired after the allegations were brought forward. No one did the right thing. Joel Quenville, the, the glowing performance review to me, there, there has to be more reckoning for him and his role in this. Again, I'm surprised he's allowed to coach. I will be fascinated to see how quickly Gary Bettman moves to reveal what he finds out in his discussion with both men. Yeah. The stench from this wafts, uh, as I said, are around, uh, the NHL, and also, as I mentioned, some serious questions to be raised about hockey culture in general. But while this is all still fresh, now the Hawks are going to conduct a GM search for, quote, new hockey leadership. Kyle Davidson takes over as their interim GM, and the search begins. So um, we'll throw a list of candidates up on the board. I have a story being posted on dailyfaceoff.com shortly. Who stands out for you, Scott, in terms of who might be the next guy fit to lead the Blackhawks, who, by the way, are also a mess on the ice at 05 and 1? Yeah, it's uh, it's ugly all around in Chicago. And I, I, I think this is a great list. And I think Jeff Gordon stands out to me. I think a lot of people feel he got a raw deal in New York, being uh, dismissed at the very end of, of last season after the, the tumultuous game with the uh, Washington Capitals and Tom Wilson. I, I think Jeff Gordon done a, a tremendous job in building 
a very good young talented Rangers team. I am curious about about Jim Rutherford, He's a guy who's a, a clearly well, he's a Hall of Famer, multiple Stanley Cup champion. He's a team builder. He's also a consensus um, builder. Um, whether he becomes the next GM or whether he's someone that perhaps comes in as the head of hockey ops or maybe with uh, someone like Jeff Gordon who's a little bit younger. Uh, I I think Jim Rutherford, a, a man of high uh, character and, and quality um, might be someone that would be important to have with a Blackhawks team that has a lot of repairing to do on the ice and within their community and within the broader hockey community. Yeah, and I in in co- co- coordination with someone, if I could get the words out, like a Jim Rutherford who has that experience, maybe in a president of hockey operations type title uh, and a winning pedigree, I, I'd like to see Kyle Davidson um, be in the conversation here. He's someone that's young, sharp, he gets it. Uh, and he's covered just about everything you can in the Blackhawks front office, starting out as an intern, uh, rising through the ranks to, you know, manager of, of hockey operations and, and analytics. They're overseeing all that salary cap scouting, uh, assistant general manager, then now, uh, vice president of hockey strategy, a title that he was promoted to in this last year. Obviously, uh, someone that's an up-and-comer, and and if you could take some of the institutional knowledge, the good parts of the institutional knowledge that made the Blackhawks so successful, he was there for parts of two Stanley Cups that the Blackhawks did win after 2010, and then combine that with someone who has the experience in a Jim Rutherford, I think that could be a real winning combination. Um, You know, we'll see how this all plays out. I'm sure there's others that will be in conversation and contact with the Blackhawks um, but still, I think there's lots of questions that remain for this entire thing, including you, we, we started to touch on it in terms of the league's availability or, or, or role in this process with regards to Kevin Sheveldayoff and Joel Quenville. But what's up with a $2 million fine for the Blackhawks? Um, this seems incredibly light to me. This is a billion-dollar franchise. And when you take $2 million and, and not just in – the grand scope and scheme of NHL business it being a very small percentage of what someone on their blue line in, in a Seth Jones is earning, for instance, but also just this penalty seems to pale in comparison to some of the other ones that have been handed out. The Arizona Coyotes being docked draft picks. We're talking about illegally testing, physically fitness testing draft eligible prospects. Like that's not the same as covering up sexual assault allegations uh, so that your team can win in the playoffs. Similarly, Ilya Kovalchuk a few years ago, the New Jersey Devils, a $3 million fine in addition to being docked draft picks. Why is this so low and so light? Yeah, to me, it's it's another troubling part of the response to the the, the details of the investigation. And I thought the NHL had, had taken a, a rather um, laissez-faire attitude even from the get-go with this. There was no denunciation of what had happened uh, leading up to the investigation. Um, I thought the NHL missed the boat in terms of, you know, having some empathy. We're talking about victims of sexual assault here. And I thought the league from the get-go took a rather laissez-faire attitude about it. And and I, I my, you know, my fear is that the message that's sent with a fine that is really, you know, roughly equivalent to a home gate for the Chicago Blackhawks sends completely the wrong message and and your point's an excellent one frank to me why not why not 20 million dollars or 25 million dollars you pick a number now half the two million dollars is going to um, to help or support victims of abuse uh, locally um 
why not half of a $10 million fine? And to me, the fact that the team itself receives no punishment, no tangible punishment for this in the form of draft picks, you know, to me, why not five first round picks over 10 years? Why not five picks over the next five years? Why not something that really um, goes to a, a stern punishment for what was an egregious handling of a serious matter? And I, I, I I just I don't get it and I and I I don't understand the thinking behind it because the message it sends is completely contradictory to how serious this incident is. Yeah, the league had an opportunity to send a real stern message here and they didn't. I think there was also a whiff to be fair from USA Hockey as well which we probably should have mentioned Stan Bowman the investigation the findings come out where's USA Hockey 6 8 hours later by saying then Stan Bowman stepped down should have been a super easy decision. A statement goes out immediately. Stan Bowman is no longer general manager of Team USA at the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics, period, end of story, hit send. Uh, another opportunity missed there. In my opinion, let's take a second to pause on the Blackhawks, a really serious topic that I'm glad we devoted the first part of the show to. And let's talk a little bit of hockey. It's time for a little number crunch. We welcome back Rachel Dowry into the show, our daily face-off analyst, and we're so thrilled to have you back with us, Rachel, to talk a little bit of numbers. It's been an interesting start. First time in NHL history, Rachel, that we have four teams that are undefeated through each of their first five games. When you think about these teams that have been off to these great starts, Carolina, St. Louis, the Florida Panthers, the Edmonton Oilers, what's the common thread that ties all these four teams together, in your opinion? I think there's a couple. Um, I included Washington in there, too, because they haven't lost in regulation. They do have some overtime losses. But, I mean, if you haven't lost in regulation and we're six games in a season, it's a pretty good start. And so I went and I kind of looked at some of the key indicators. And one of the big ones that I think everybody can understand is goals per game. And all of the teams are averaging over 4.3 goals per game which is incredible. If you're scoring over four goals a game, you're likely to win a lot of hockey games because the average score is a total of five goals in an NHL game, maybe five and a half. Well, if you've got four of those, probably winning a lot of 4-1, 4-2 games. And so I'm not surprised to see that the, the fact that these five teams are in the win column more than they are in the loss column because of how much scoring they're doing. Um, if you look at some of the sort of underlying numbers, Carolina, St. Louis, Florida, Washington are four of the top five teams at even strength in goals for percentage. So they're outscoring their opponents at five on five. And it's by a wide margin too. You look at that 65% means the other team, their opponents are getting 35% of the goal share and you're going to win quite a few games with, with stats like that. And then. You look at some of the other ones that are kind of leading to these numbers and all five teams are in the top seven and they're above 60% in goals from the scoring area. So if you look at that, I mean, you're getting goals in the scoring area, you're dominating the run of play, you're scoring the most goals. You're also getting top 11 goaltending in terms of high danger save percentage. 
have an 867 or above for high danger, I mean, absolutely fantastic. We'd normally expect something closer to 750, maybe 770. Um, so they're getting some really good goaltending as well at the other end. And then a couple things. I mean, they're all top 10 at 5-on-5 five five shooting percentage. Um, I don't know that that'll carry on for the entire season. And they're all top 11 in PDO, and that's kind of the luck metric. So that tells you that they're getting a little bit lucky. But I think when you really look at these numbers, I mean, they're making their own luck at this point. Yeah. Rachel, I'm curious, is there, of that group of teams off to such a great start, and especially those that are, are totally undefeated, is there is there one that you think is uh, is positioned to sustain it longer than the others? Which team do you think is, you know, that we have this conversation in a month or so that we're still talking about an exceptional level of play? Yeah, so I think you can look at a couple of things. I think Florida, they're getting really good goaltending from both Bobrovsky and Knight, and they're really deep just on defense at forward. So I think if that continues, we could really see Florida challenging for that Atlantic division. They're my pick there. Um, failing that, it probably would be Carolina because you look at how they've played the last couple of years, and yeah, they don't have Dougie Hamilton anymore, but they still look pretty good. Um, so I expect their level of play and those numbers to kind of continue. I see Edmonton continuing to win just because of how poor that division is. But I don't expect that Dreisaitl and McDavid are going to continue to shoot, I mean, 40% and that their special teams is going to remain top five in both ends. So uh, those are my teams. I would say Florida first and foremost, though. Yeah, eight, eight power play goals in five games for Edmonton to start is bananas. Uh, wanted to ask you about St. Louis quickly as we wrap up here, Rachel. You One of your regression candidates, uh, when we talked a couple weeks ago, David Perron, it doesn't seem like he's regressing. I wonder as a whole, has St. Louis surprised you a little bit with their start? Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I still think David Perron is... A candidate for regression. Um, he's got a line mate now in that Jordan Cairo who's going to probably join him there because anyone who has a really, really hot start to the year, you look at Mangiapane and Lindholm, I kind of expect the same. But St. Louis as a whole, I mean, you look at it, Justin Falk was quietly good last year and he started off really well. And I think that's super key for them, especially because they did lose Alex Petrangelo last year. Um, you look at Vladimir Tarasenko, when he's moving his feet, he is still an extremely talented hockey player. And so I think he's really been a boost. And then you look at Cairo and Perron. Like, we haven't even touched on the fact that Ryan O'Reilly has been really good defensively, but that's kind of like the slam dunk of the year. And so it all seems to be coming together for St. Louis. And that's really good because there's a lot of eyebrows raised when Justin Falk signed that contract. Yeah, no question about that. A uh, lot of eyebrows raised with St. Louis to start. They may hit a little bit of a bump here as they get bit by the COVID-19 bug. But uh, thank you so much, Rachel. Great to have you as always. Uh, that was number crunch, and we can't wait to talk to you next week. Sounds good. See you next week. All right, Scott, it's time for the Daily Faceoff inbox question of the day. You can hit us up on Twitter, hashtag AskDFO. We'd be happy to take your questions and answer them throughout the year. We're going to throw this one up there. I didn't really love the Seattle Kraken posting a banner in their new arena 
with the number 32 being retired already. I thought like maybe that was a little bit of a whiff. How do you feel about the Seattle Kraken raising a banner celebrating the Seattle Metropolitans Stanley Cup win from 1917 last night? You know, I, I maybe I'm just banner zen, but I'm completely okay with it, Frank. I, you know what? I, I, I think it's okay. I, I remember, you know, people used to get uh, bent out of shape if people put up a divisional banner. And I always thought that was a little bit suspect back when there were six divisions. And it was like, eh, really? You want to that you're a Southeast banner? I don't know. I don't mind this one. Speaks to the history of the game and the connection to the community. So I give Seattle a complete pass on this. Well, I see, I'm okay with the, the Metropolitans one, I think. Had that been the only one that you put up? When you also retired the number 32, I'm going, all right, now you're, you're two games in, maybe a little bit banner happy. You should only be throwing one up there in, in authentic reasons or cases, and that's when you win. And if you don't have one in other places, like a Columbus, Nashville finally did winning the West a few years ago, but some of these expansion teams that haven't had a lot to celebrate, well, that's just on you. The product on the ice needs to be better. You don't get to hang one for like the sixth man or the sixth fan or whatever you want to call it. Like that just, that doesn't work uh, for me. It, it, they need to be authentic, but I, I can, I could see why they'd want to celebrate Seattle's hockey history, which people around the NHL may or may not have known. Uh, let's get to our daily face-off best bets of the day. Tyler Yaramchuk still on a heater? Yeah, I think I think it still is a heater, Frank. And uh, as always, the segment is brought to you by our friends over at PointsBet as well. But a two for two night again, which is a good feeling after going one one and one the night before, which ruined my winning streak on the year. I'm twelve five and two. I'm up just under six units as well. So I'm going to look to keep that going and build up a bit of a bankroll because I know that slow streak is coming. I know it's coming. Hopefully, it's not tonight though. Uh, so let's jump into the action. A pretty decent slate here, and there are two very very big. Favorites. I'll start with the Washington Capitals, though, as my first play of the day. Listen, Detroit's been a good story. They're clearly improved on what they were last year. But with that being said, I still don't like them in this matchup. Washington's going with Vitek Vanacek, who's been great this year with a 2.05 goals against average and a 9.20 save percentage. He's got a 2-0-1 record as well. Washington, like Rachel said, has not lost in regulation yet this year. And Detroit, you know, again, they've been one of those mild feel-good stories of the year. But in their last three games, they've been outscored 12-7. to So I like Washington in this game, but I don't like that minus 216 price tag. So I'm actually taking them in regulation at minus 136. And for my second play of the day, I'm actually doing the exact same thing with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Listen, the Leafs are a top team in terms of expected goals for. The Blackhawks have been brutal defensively. They haven't held a lead yet this year. Simply put, I think the Leafs are due, and I also really like the goaltending matchup in this one with Jack Campbell between the pipes. He's been really, really solid this year. So I'm taking the Leafs down in regulation at minus 131 as well. Simply put, Toronto's due, and Washington, I just think, is a much better hockey team than the Detroit Red Wings. So I'm going Leafs and Caps in regulation today to uh, keep that heater going, Frank. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that Hawks game is going to be interesting just because you also never know what kind of emotion they come out with. Uh, they've been embarrassed on the ice. Now they've been embarrassed off the ice. Sometimes a team, that's a rallying cry that helps uh, you know, have them improve their play on the ice. We'll see what happens there. Thank you to Tyler. And a little garbage time action now with Scott Burnside. Uh, your, your opinions are never garbage. So what's, uh, what's caught your eye? What's gotten you excited around the NHL to start the year? 
Well, you mentioned earlier I was in uh, I'm in Raleigh doing some stuff here and I got to see the the Canes and the Leafs on Monday night and many moons ago I covered the Toronto Maple Leafs for a couple of years for the National Post and it was an outstanding experience for me. But there is no place like the Toronto Maple Leafs locker room or marketplace when the Leafs are in the tank. And it, and there is something perverse about the joy of watching that team as a struggle because no fan base sees a pendulum swing as dramatically or wildly, good or bad, than it does with the Toronto Maple Leafs team. Of course, haven't won a Stanley Cup since 67, no playoff series victories since before the 0405 lockout. It's good to see that things have not changed, but it did make me remember covering the team. Pat Quinn was the head coach there, Hall of Famer, one of the great giants of the game, and being asked repeatedly about eighth or ninth defenseman, uh, why they weren't in the lineup, or why Max Domi wasn't on the power play. And all Pat Quinn could do every day was not blow his stack. And uh, so I, I feel a bit for Sheldon Keefe, and it's good to see that things have not changed with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Love them or hate them, don't go changing. They're a terrific part of this NHL landscape. Yeah, there's no question. The attention and the spotlight is always burning bright. I usually root for chaos. Uh, in this case, I think the chaos that we've seen around the NHL, specifically emanating from Chicago these last couple of days has been really tough to take for any hockey fan, anyone with any rooting interest in the game. It's been difficult to, to stomach. So uh, this is a story that we'll continue talking about, um, you know, in the days and weeks to come uh, in terms of also changing general hockey culture as well. So lots of questions and, and hopefully potentially some more answers to come. On that front, our show went a little long today, getting through those topics. Thank you for hanging with us. Uh, we'll be back here tomorrow with another edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. Until then, keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for Scott's stories, opinions, and columns, and all the latest news and information from around the NHL. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for watching the Daily Faceoff Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first, and you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.